on the seventh pitch. Harper hits one in the air, left center field, back it goes! Harper, the swing of his life! As Joe Davis said there, it was the swing of Bryce Harper's life. Arguably the biggest home run in the history of that historic franchise. Bryce Harper sending the Phillies, giving the Phillies a lead, I guess I should say, in the bottom of the eighth inning against the San Diego Padres, 4-3, to three, and they would hold that lead and go on to win to give them, to send the Philadelphia Phillies to the World Series. And uh, our World Series is set, and it was, you know, it was a weird scheduling, I'll be honest with you, for, for that game. It was like 2.30 on a Sunday is when they decided to to broadcast that game. That was unfortunate. I wish more people saw that home run in that game in general. But what a very cool play. Very cool home run. Great call by Joe Davis and uh, that whole crew, the clip courtesy of Fox Sports, obviously. And uh, yeah, I mean, baseball, playoff baseball. There's there's nothing like it. I've said it time and again. You'll have moments. It feels like that sort of moment, a moment like that, at least once a playoff season, a home run that you'll never forget, a play that you'll never forget or something like that, depending on which team you're a fan of or whatever it feels like you'll have one of those plays that you'll never forget for the rest of your life and you'll tell your kids about it or whatever. And that is probably that play for a lot of Phillies fans. Uh, that'll be the play that they'll remember for a very long time. And they're going to the World Series. The last team to make it in the National League playoffs and the National League bracket of the playoffs are the last team standing in the National League in the Philadelphia Phillies. And now we have our World Series set. The Astros sweep the New York Yankees. The Astros are perfect in the postseason far, so far. 7-0, seven, seven games, seven wins for the Astros. They're going into the World Series as well on the AL side, and they completely dismantled the New York Yankees. A couple close games, but for the most part, it was uh, it was Astros, Astros all the way through. And uh, same thing with the Phillies. Phillies won in five games. They beat the Padres. They lost one game that entire series, but they won four, uh, four, four games over one, and uh, it was a pretty pretty much a dismantling by the Phillies as well, I would say, uh, of the Padres, and they move on to the World Series as well, so our set, our series is set, Phillies versus Astros, the city of Philadelphia versus the city of Houston taking on one another, the first game for the World Series is on Friday, we'll see what happens, be, you know, it feels like the Astros are probably going to be heavily favored, I think the, I read somewhere that the discrepancy between uh, games, the Astros won like 101 games or something like that, if I remember right, and the and the uh, Phillies, I think, won like 88 or 89. And the difference uh, between those two teams is uh, like the highest difference, if I remember correctly, uh, or one of the highest differences between both teams. Excuse me, Houston had 111 wins. So it was 111 wins versus Philly, who had 90 or uh, 89, 88, something like that. And it's like a 20, 20 some odd game difference. And that difference in terms of um, wins is one of the highest differences that the World Series has ever seen. So we'll see what happens. The ultimate underdogs versus the ultimate favorites in the Houston Astros. Uh, the underdogs being the Phillies, obviously. And uh, we'll see what happens. I think a lot of people are probably going to be rooting for the Phillies. I don't, you know, don't. Uh, I'm not going to discourage you from rooting for the Phillies, obviously. Everybody loves a Cinderella, and that team definitely, definitely is the Cinderella story right now in the MLB postseason in sports, I would say, right now in uh, in sports. It's the Phillies as the Cinderella story. And um they're wearing it well. They're playing well, and they're wearing that Cinderella story well. The whole city of Philadelphia is behind them, and I think most of the country is probably going to be behind Philadelphia and Bryce Harper and that entire that entire group. So, see what happens. Uh, like I said, World Series first pitch is in uh, on Friday, and uh, they they scheduled it. I can't believe they didn't move forward the games. To be honest with you, I thought uh, with how quick those championship series games were, we had a sweep and then a five game. Uh, a five-game one that the series was basically over on Sunday for both teams, and uh, I'm surprised they didn't move up the World Series games. I thought maybe they would have pushed them to like a Wednesday start or a Thursday start or something like that, but no, they kept them on Friday. So the series starts on Friday, continues on Saturday with Game 2, and then I think they have a day off in between, and then it'll be Monday and Tuesday for Games 3 and 4, and so on and so forth. So we'll see what happens. I'm uh, I'm pulling Astros, I'll be honest with you. Uh, my, my dad used to live in Houston, and we used to go to a bunch of Astros games. He's still an Astros fan. Shout out my dad. And uh, so I, I by, uh, b- guilty by proxy that I'm still a fan of the Astros. Second favorite team. Second favorite team. If they're playing anybody but the Red Sox, I'll be rooting for the Astros, and that includes now. Uh, so I am I'm rooting for the Astros. I hope the Astros win it. It'd be, it'd be nice for them to get the... Uh, the the monkey off their back of the the cheating scandal in 2017 they cheated i'm not going to argue that 
But if they win one without cheating, I think it kind of legitimizes a lot of what they've done there as well. So I think it'd be nice to see the Astros win one there as well. So that's my take on that. But we're going to move on. That was a great day for baseball. Sunday was uh, we got a sweep of the Yankees. I'm always happy when the Yankees are getting swept. We got Yankees fans firing everything that rhymes with the word Cashman uh, in the front office. And they, they're wanting to get rid of basically the entire front office right now. And that's always, and I'll be honest with you, that's always fun to see. Um, so good day overall, I would say, and a great day for baseball. Uh, bad scheduling, though. Like I said, I'll say it again. Bad scheduling. You shouldn't be playing those games on a Sunday, especially not on a Sunday afternoon like they had the Phillies and the Padres doing Sunday at like 2.30, which is the witching hour for the NFL. Bad. That's bad scheduling. Nah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done that. I would have waited, given it an extra day, play them on Monday or something like that. That's uh, that's probably would have been better. You're not going to beat uh, you're not going to beat football even in the, the midst of the regular season week seven. Uh, you're not you have no chance of beating football out in the ratings. And uh, I think a lot of people saw. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people saw that Bryce Harper home run over on Twitter or on social media of some kind, rather than actually seeing it live because everybody else on planet earth or in America was watching football at about two 30 in the afternoon. So, you know, I MLB, they got to figure out their scheduling stuff or they're going to have bigger issues on hand because nobody's going to be watching the games, but you know, whatever that's neither here nor there. That's uh, that's a, that's a bigger discussion for the future of baseball and we'll see where it goes. Uh, moving on. We're going to talk a little bit about week seven. Had some good games, had some big upsets in week seven. We're going to get a couple of those uh, as well as some other, you know, eye-opening performances from a couple of big guys. Specifically, we'll start with this. Bengals, Cincinnati Bengals beat the Falcons on Sunday. It was a dominant performance from the Bengals, 35 to 17. That probably, it's honestly, that feels closer than what it actually was, to be honest with you. 35-17, neither team scored in the fourth quarter, including the Bengals, but Bengals basically had this game, it felt like, sealed and wrapped by the third quarter, which is why they didn't score in the fourth. But Joe Burrow, he went 34 for 42, 481 yards with three touchdowns as well. Tyler Boyd, he had eight receptions for 155 yards and a touchdown as well. It was a complete domination. I don't want to say, I'm not going to go out on a limb here and say that the Bengals are back necessarily. I still think they, uh, last season when they went on that run, they maybe leaned a little too heavily on their big plays and stuff like that with guys like Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, and stuff like that. They leaned very heavily on their ability to make big plays with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, and that's kind of what drove their big drive and their their run into the playoffs, and that led them to a Super Bowl uh, appearance. But I don't, I don't, I don't want to say they're back because I don't know if they are back. They still gave up uh, 17 points in one quarter to the Atlanta Falcons. So I don't know what to expect from this Bengals team, but this was a very good showing. This was at the very least going to give you hope for the future uh, with the Bengals for the rest of the season. I have no idea what to expect outside of this. Like I said, Falcons are not a great team, uh, but you know, Jamar Chase throwing for 481 yards and three touchdowns is not bad. That's a pretty good day, I would say. Tyler Boyd, like I said, eight receptions, 155 yards and a touchdown. Jamar Chase, eight receptions, 130 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, so, and he had 11 targets as well. So, I mean, the big plays are coming back. Then look out NFL because this is going to be one of the better teams in the league going forward. And um, you know, the AFC North is basically up for grabs at this point. The the Falcons have not looked, or excuse me, the uh, the Ravens have not looked very good. Barely squeaked one out against the Browns, and uh, they're tied with the Cincinnati Bengals four and three in the AFC North. And the Browns aren't very good. The Pittsburgh Steelers aren't very good. We saw that. So the AFC North is still completely up for grab. Uh, it's just running into those guys, which they've done it before. The Bengals have done it before. I'm not going to say you know uh, it's basically a two. It, it is a two team race. It feels like between the Bills and the Chiefs. But we we were kind of saying that last year, and then the Bengals came in and beat the Chiefs on the road to go to the Super Bowl. So, you know, it's hard to kind of, that's probably the hardest team to count out. I would say the Cincinnati Bengals uh, out of this playoff race more so than any other team in the AFC and maybe even in the rest of football. Um, so we'll see what happens with the Bengals. Couple other games last night, uh, excuse me, on Sunday, the commanders, this was the upset of the day. In my opinion, everybody wants to talk about uh, Tom Brady and uh, them losing to the Panthers, which we'll talk about in a second. But I think the most eye-opening loss to me was this Packers game uh, between the commanders commanders went on the road. I think the, the I mean, both the commanders and the Panthers. I mean, I, I said this is probably a more opening loss, but I think I, I don't I really don't know if I believe that, to be honest, because both these losses are really bad. <laughs> uh, the commanders are maybe a little bit better than the Panthers, but not by much, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of hope for either one of these sides, to be honest. Uh, to, for both the Panthers and the Commanders. And for the Packers, though, I think, I mean, I thought I was expecting a better performance than this, to be honest, against a team, a team like the Commanders who lost their starting quarterback. Granted, Taylor Heineke, he is the Green Lizard, 
I mean, I like Taylor Heineke. I don't think he's going to be, he's any better than Carson Wentz per se. Uh, but I think for whatever reason, it feels like the Washington commanders play better whenever he is at quarterback for Washington. For whatever reason, I don't know why. Uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. He only threw for 201 yards. He had two touchdowns and an interception. He only had an 85.5 quarterback rating. He didn't play necessarily that great. Um, but for whatever reason, that Washington offense at least somewhat looks less congested whenever Taylor Heineke is on the field. It's the same thing that happened last night with Bailey Zappi. I mean, granted, it was basically only for the first half. Second half, Bailey Zappi was kind of abysmal for the Patriots. But when he came in, when Bailey Zappi came in for the Patriots in that game against the Bears, it felt like uh, that the offense just looked a lot better. Like they were throwing the ball downfield. There was more space available to, to the wide receivers for them to operate in. And Bailey Sappy was throwing downfield and hitting guys down in stride. And uh, it just felt like the offense was moving more in the first half with Bailey Zappi under center. Now, granted, the Bears made an adjustment. Bailey Zappi really didn't do anything in the second half, and the Bears were able to run away with that game. That's fair. That's a fair assessment. I would not be surprised to see Mac Jones as the starting quarterback for the Patriots next week uh, just because of that. But with that being said, it's a similar thing with Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke, the green lizard. Uh, we all love him. Everybody loves the Green Lizard, except maybe the Packers fans this week. Uh, for whatever reason, like I said, 201 yards passing. That's not, he's not, you know, he's not burning the cover off the ball when he's throwing the ball, when he's throwing passes. Um, but for whatever reason, for whatever reason, I don't know why, it just feels like Washington is a better team when Taylor Heineke is under center throwing the balls for Washington. I don't get it. If you if you guys remember, this Washington team, when Taylor Heineke was under under center for the wildcard playoffs just a few years ago, when the Buccaneers were also making their run to win the, uh, the ended up winning the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs, the hardest competition that Tom Brady and that Buccaneers team faced in the playoffs was this Washington team and Taylor Heineke. So at the very least, I mean, he can duel, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say he's going to go to toe-to-toe with Tom Brady every game, but I mean, he showed up in the big spots. He went 26 for 44, 306 yards and a touchdown and an interception in that game. They lost 31 to 23. And uh, I mean, they were very nearly on the cusp of upsetting, maybe one of the bigger upsets in Tom Brady's career. If Washington pulls off that upset against, against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. So, I mean, Taylor Heineke, I you know, he's no slouch. He's a solid backup quarterback. And I think personally, and this is just me, if it's me, if I'm a Washington football, if I'm a Washington uh, commanders team fan, or Commanders fan, I would, uh, I mean, I don't know why you'd want to be wanting to go back to Carson Wentz. Heineke clearly, clearly gives Washington a better advantage just in terms of at least slinging the ball downfield. I don't get that from Carson Wentz very often. Carson Wentz at least, or excuse me, Heineke at least looks like he wants to throw the ball downfield and hit some of his better targets in Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. We don't get that much from, from, uh, from Carson Wentz. Now granted, there is nobody better in the NFL at throwing the ball downfield and forcing pass interference calls than Carson Wentz. Now, if you want to operate your, uh, your offense that way, that by all means, that's basically all the Indianapolis Colts did last year was say Carson Wentz, just throw it deep and Michael Pittman will try to get a pass interference call. That's basically what the Colts did all season last year. And uh, it nearly got them into the playoffs. So you know what? Washington do whatever. Okay. It doesn't really matter. Do whatever you want. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I think Ty- Taylor Heineke is, for me, the way to go if, if if you're Washington football team. I don't think there's a better option. Uh, I don't I don't think Carson Wentz is the better option at quarterback. And he just beat the Packers. I mean, the Packers, granted, not a great team so far this year. But that at least, I mean, that's got to give you some sort of bias, some, for, some sort of confirmation bias that Taylor Heineke is the guy to go with uh, in these situations. And speaking of the Packers. What is going on with the Packers, okay? What in God's name is going on with the Packers, okay? Aaron Rodgers had a less, less a, a smaller average yards per completion than Taylor Heineke this week at 5.5 yards per completion versus Heineke at 6.1 yards per completion. Aaron Rodgers went 23 for 35, 195 yards, 194 yards and two touchdowns, and it was not a good performance. And I don't necessarily, uh, I don't know if I blame him necessarily, but uh, the offense looks very congested. It looks very bad. They aren't throwing the ball down the field as much as we'd like to see. Uh, Alan Lazard, he had six receptions for 55 yards. Aaron Jones had nine receptions for 53 yards and two touchdowns. Your highest receiver in terms of receptions is your running back. That's probably a bad idea. He, uh, not a good thing. He also had 10 targets, which are three more than the highest receiver, which was Alan Lazard, who had seven that's not a that's not a great recipe for success if you're the Green Bay Packers. Throwing more to your running back than any of your wide receivers is not a great recipe for success. Now, 
that could be a uh, that, that might that's more of a slight maybe on the receivers than it is Aaron Rodgers or anybody else. But maybe it's the offense. Maybe the game plan is just not good, and it's possibly because the the receivers aren't good. They're not you know drawing as many downfield play drawing up as many downfield plays as we saw with Devonte Adams. Obviously, because Devonte Adams is better than everybody on this roster in terms of uh, the receiving core. Uh, arguably the entire roster in general, I would say maybe even more than Aaron Rodgers, but that's, you know, apples to oranges. But, uh, I mean, it's just interesting to see how congested they lose one guy in Devontae Adams and it's it, how congested this offense has become in terms of throwing an ungodly amount of slant plays that go nowhere or screen players or what have you, throwing it to you, to a, th- a three-yard uh, bailout route to, to, your, uh, to your running back and Aaron Jones over and over again. I mean, that's what it's kind of come to for the Packers. And that's uh that's a problem. Three and four on the season. Same as the Washington commanders. They're in a much harder division. The uh, green Bay Packers are uh, maybe top heavy division is probably the better term, but the Vikings are five and one. Uh, they're two game, two and a half games ahead of the green Bay Packers right now, who are three and four tied with the bears at three and four and the Lions are one and five. So maybe a little more top heavy division than the, uh, than any, than what the Packers are probably wanting. And they're at this point, probably more than likely shooting for a wild card spot. Because uh, I don't know if they're going to catch unless the ta- the Vikings go on an absolute tailspin, which don't put it past them because it is the Minnesota Vikings. That's I've lived through that countless times. Um, I, you know, don't put, you know, I would probably I would not be surprised to see the Packers shooting for a, a wildcard spot at this point. But even that, I mean, even playoff aspirations seem maybe a little too high for the Packers right now, given what we've seen on this offense. Uh, and I, I just never thought I'd see the day where both Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are operating in two very, very uh, congested and boring offenses, I guess, is the bigger picture. Uh, They're boring to watch. They're not fun to watch. Uh, And I never thought I'd see the day where Aaron Rodgers, I would be saying, is a boring uh, a quarterback that has become boring to watch, I guess, is what I would say. Uh, It's it's a sad day for football when that is the case. And that is the case right now. Uh, Again, going over to the next, the biggest upset, the other biggest upset of the day, Panthers over the Bucks. I changed my I changed my mind already. I, I already changed my mind. Uh, this is probably the bigger upside of the day. I mean, the Vikings, or, excuse me, the the Bucks. They have the receiving core. They have Mike Evans. Mike Evans had 15 targets on the day, nine receptions, uh, 96 yards. They have Chris Godwin. Russell Gage is a solid three receiver. Uh, Tom Brady only went 34 he, or 32 for 49. I would say only. That's pretty decent. Um, but I mean, he threw 49 times, which is absurd uh, for 290 yards. He didn't 90 yards. He didn't have a single touchdown though. Uh, and he, uh, he only had a quarterback rating of 81.2. Didn't turn the ball over either. So, you know, it just, I, same thing. It was this very same, a very similar thing to, uh, to, to the Packers. It looked very congested. It was dull. It was boring. It was not inventive whatsoever. Uh, even though you have big guys like Mike Evans who can do the downfield plays and stuff like that. He had a couple drops. I, I understand, but I mean, Mike Evans is the guy, I mean, he's targeted 15 times. He should be targeted 15 times because he's one of the best receivers in the game. And I don't know how, if you're the Buccaneers, you come into this game, you're running on first and second down most of the time with a guy like Leonard Fournette, who had 2.4 yards per carry and 19 yards on eight rushes. And then Rashad White, who granted a little bit better, I guess, six, six carries for 24 yards and four average, uh, four yard average. Um, I mean, just it just it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. This is a team uh, that should be the should have been and was the favorite in the NFC. I think for a lot of people to come out of the NFC and challenge whichever AFC team came out of the AFC, whether it be the Bills or the Chiefs or the Bengals or whoever. But this team is similar to I mean, they're going to win their and they should win their division. That'd be a colossal disappointment if they didn't win their division, but their division is terrible. The Falcons are three and four, but they're not a good three and four team. Carolina Panthers are two and five, and then the Saints are two and five. None of those teams are very good. Tampa Bay should beat uh, and should win that division handily, uh, even though they're sitting at three and four tied with the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons, I look at the Falcons and I look at the Buccaneers and it is a complete disparity. I mean, the Buccaneers should, if, if we're talking about the Buccaneers and the Falcons playing right now, I think everybody even including the the sports books would put the Buccaneers as favorites uh, at seven point favorites, I would imagine, because the Falcons just aren't very good. I mean, they're not a very good football team. They they beat the the 49ers a couple of weeks ago, but the 49ers were incredibly banged up. And, uh, you know, they were basically playing an entire second string defense out there, which allowed the Falcons to kind of run all over the place all game. And uh, I think I think it's safe to say that the Buccaneers would probably be seven point favorites in that game. And I think that would probably be low. I mean, if it was anything lower than that, I'd probably be taking the Buccaneers and the money in that game. Um, if that were the situation. So 
I really don't know what to to think of the Buccaneers. I I don't think they're going to come out of the NFC with the way that they're looking right now. It's incredible to think also just two weeks ago, this was the team that was basically a muffed kickoff return away from beating the Chiefs at home. They lost that game 41 to 31, and that that opening kickoff was disastrous where they muffed the punt and basically gave the Chiefs uh, the ball on inside the red zone at the very start of the game. So I, you're basically a, month, a muff punt away from beating the Chiefs at home, and now two weeks later, you're two two losses in a row to arguably the two worst teams in, in the NFL in the Carolina Panthers and the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers two weeks in a row. So I don't know what to think. I mean, that's pretty volatile. If you're the, if you're Tampa Bay, uh, I mean, I have no idea what to expect from this team the rest of this year. If you're, if you're 10 point, if you're a loss, uh, losing to the Kansas city chiefs by 10 points uh, in a game that you probably should have won uh, versus then losing two more games to uh, the two worst teams in the NFL. I have no idea what to expect. I have no idea what to think of this team. I have no idea. Is is age finally catching up to Tom Brady? I don't know. I don't think so. He still looks great out there. I mean, he's slinging the ball. He had a couple good throws down the field that were just out out of the reach of of Mike Evans or in Chris Godwin. But I mean, their line is banged up. I understand that, but it's also I mean, the defense hasn't looked too. I mean, I, you know, that the, they held the Panthers to twenty one points or whatever. I mean, held quote-unquote, the Panthers to 21 points. But, I mean, I don't know. They also gave up 41 points to the Chiefs. So I have no idea. I have no idea what to expect. I mean, it feels like the NFC, uh, it's very top-heavy as well. It feels like the Eagles are the only team. Uh, it's probably the Eagles and the Cowboys as the two best teams in the NFC right now. And uh, then a pretty steep drop-off. And even the Cowboys is a pretty steep drop-off from the Eagles as the best team in the NFC. It's basically the Eagles... The Eagles conference to run at this point, and then even if the if the Eagles get to the Super Bowl with their team, it still feels like the Chiefs and the Bills are way better than both uh, than than the, than uh, any team in the NFC at this point. So, I mean, we say that basically every week, but it, it only it feels like the gap is only growing bigger every single week as well. So, you know, I have no idea what to expect week in week out in my you know my my betting my betting money line would or my betting uh, my betting bankroll would agree with me. I have no idea. <laughs> what to expect from any of these teams week in, week out. It's just, I, I don't remember an NFL season where it's been so uh, volatile. I mean, the Giants, 6-1 and one on the season, I don't think anybody actually believes that they're a good 6-1 and one team. I, I think they're winning a lot of games by too close of margins, and they have to get un, uh, unlucky at some point, and uh, that's kind of what I feel about the, the New York Giants right now, even though they are 6-1. and one. Uh the Eagles are better than them in their own conference. The Eagles are better than the Cowboys in their own in their own uh, not conference, excuse me, in their own division. Um, but everybody else, I mean, the Seahawks are leading their division at four and three. Uh, the the Buccaneers, we talked about them. They're leading their division at three and four. The Vikings are five and one, leading the North. But then in second place is three and four Green Bay Packers. It's like whoever comes out of the wild card in this in this conference in the NFC is almost going to be a bad football team. I would say, like almost not even worth a wild card spot. Um, so. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's just very confusing. I don't like. I said I don't remember a time in football where it kind of the middle is so muddied. I mean, I really have no idea what to bet, who to bet, what's going to happen in each game. Which guy? I mean, it makes it fun. It does make it fun by all means. I mean, the more the more of this, to be honest with you, the better it is. Like, I mean, the Chiefs and the Bills are kind of running away with everything, but everything in the middle is such a a cluster, a complete disaster that I have really no idea what to expect every time I turn the TV on on Sunday and flip on the red zone. I mean, I feel like I'm going to see something new or an upset every single week, which is fun. I mean, I, I honestly like it more that way. Uh, moving on here. Uh, oh, actually, another quick note about this Buccaneers team. Uh, it feels in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or excuse me, the uh, in Tom Brady. I don't know why I said that. Uh, Tom Brady at the time, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. After this loss, this is probably the darkest hour for Tom Brady with the Buccaneers, I would say. But it reminds me very much. It reminds me a lot of... Back in 2014, on a Monday night football game, when Tom Brady and the Patriots at the time lost to the Chiefs on the road uh, before Patrick Mahomes was there. This was the Alex Smith era of the Chiefs with uh, Andy Reid was still there, but it was the Alex Smith era at quarterback for the Chiefs. And uh, the Chiefs beat the Patriots on Monday night. I think it was like 44 to 17. I mean, absolutely blew the Patriots out. And I think I, I remember, I vividly remember uh, everybody, a lot of people reacting to that game, saying the Patriots weren't good. Tom Brady was, uh, he was getting washed. He had a very bad game that day. I think it threw two picks and like under 200 yards uh, uh, passing. And I think a lot of people were reacting to it, overreacting to it. 
and saying that it was time for uh, time for Tom Brady to hang him up. You know, uh, the team wasn't good anymore. Uh, the dynasty had been is over. You know, the, the Patriot dynasty was over. And then since then, uh, Tom Brady's only gone on to have a second Hall of Fame career. Basically, from that point on, he's had to have he's gone on to have a second Hall of Fame career. So I don't I'm not going to say the route because I'm not I don't want to do that because I believe Tom Brady is too good at what he does to really count him out uh, this early in the season. But it does have a very similar vibe as that game back in 2014 when the Chiefs beat the Patriots and everybody was kind of counting out the Patriots. And I think they went on to win the Super Bowl that season as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, And then, like I said, Tom Brady went on to have a second, basically, Hall of Fame career after that. So we'll see what happens with the Bucs. We'll see what happens with Tom Brady. But don't doubt. Don't doubt Tom Brady, okay? Because I care about you, and he is going to prove everybody wrong like he did last time, and it's going to frustrate everybody because he's going to then say he's going to play till he's 50 years old. And then have like a third Super Bowl or a third Hall of Fame career uh, on top of it. So, I, you know, I'm not going to count out Brady. I'm just not I'm not going to do it. Uh, other couple games, Jets, they beat the Broncos. This was kind of a wash for the Broncos, even though this whole season kind of feels like a wash for the Broncos. Uh, you know, uh, Brett Rippon didn't have a great game. I don't think anybody expected him to have a great game, to be honest with you. They lost 16 to nine to the Jets. Jets didn't play very well either, though, to be honest. Uh, Zach Wilson ain't it. I don't think I think we can. I think we can say this now. I think I think we can say Zach Wilson is not the answer for the Jets. Um, I don't know if you go with him for the rest of the season because Joe Flacco is not very good either. Uh, but 16 for 26, 121 yards. Uh, that ain't going to do it. That ain't going to do it, Chief. Uh, and uh, now that you lost your star rookie running back in Brees Hall, he got hurt, tore his ACL. He's gone for the rest of the season. Uh, they just traded for James Robinson. That was a big trade. Uh, we'll see what ends up happening with the New York rushing, the New York Jet rushing attack uh, behind Michael Carter, James Robinson. I'm curious to see how much they actually use Robinson because I think personally, I think Michael Carter is still a very solid running back that deserves to have that uh, at the very least backup or starter role. Now, uh, I think he's good enough to play in that starter role, but we'll see. I mean, James Robinson is also good enough to be a starter for this Jets team as well. So I have no idea what to expect. They're going to lean on it very heavily, though, because like I said, Zach Wilson uh, does not look like the answer for the Jets at quarterback. And um, I did not think we'd be seeing the Jets be five and two, four and zero on the road so far this season. After uh, you know, even without a good starting quarterback, I mean, we're to this point where uh, they're basically relying. I mean, it feels more like the Rex Ryan years than I ever thought we'd see, where they're relying heavily on their defense and their rushing attack to kind of mirror or mask uh, their quarterback situation, like they did with Mark Sanchez for a long time. Uh, even though I think Mark Sanchez is probably a little bit better than Zach Wilson was at this point. Um, but I mean, nonetheless, neither are, you know, are elite or great quarterbacks or anything like that. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, the Jets are good. Uh, pretty, pretty solid team. Uh, defense, very solid. Uh, rushing attack is probably going to take a hit. I think they're going to lose a couple more games now because of the news that they just got from uh, Brees Hall. Very unfortunate. I thought he was going to be rookie of the year. I, pretty much a pretty much a write in for rookie of the year at this point. He had four rushes for 72 yards and a touchdown on uh, Sunday against the Broncos before he got hurt. And uh, yeah, I felt like he was basically inking himself in for rookie of the year, uh, rookie of the year considerations uh, before he got hurt. So uh, we'll see what happens with the Jets. I really don't know. And then the Broncos, I mean, it's a full on wash. I mean, this was not a, a game that you can take a lot from, to be honest, other than maybe the defensive performance. They played pretty well. 16 points against uh, any D any offense in the NFL is pretty good. Uh, but, you know, their defense played out, but even with a solid defense. I don't think they had the tools to really compete with. I can't believe I'm saying this, but this New York Jets team or any really any any team in the NFL, Brett Rippon, backup quarterback, obviously, you know, he's not going to be the guy going forward. They need Russell Wilson back as fast as possible, even though I don't know how much better he played or how much worse he played than Russell Wilson to this point this year, to be honest with you. Russell Wilson also not been very good. So I don't know what to take at this point. I, I'm curious to see, honestly, what the Broncos do come trade deadline time. I would not be surprised to see if they are sellers. They're not going to get rid of Russell Wilson, obviously, because he's probably, I mean, he's, you know, they're not going to get rid of him for a very long time. But I think there are some solid names on this roster that you could probably get, start, you know, pitching to other teams. Your Bradley Chubbs, Cortland Sutton is probably not a bad person to start pitching. Uh, You know, a couple other guys like Draymond Jones, uh, in you know, especially on the defensive side, we got playmakers basically all over the field, and I think at some point you got to start thinking that the either the Broncos are going to think this season is a wash in the front office, just you know 
wipe their hands of it. It doesn't happen. You might as well get something out of the expiring contracts, though, in my opinion, uh, like Bradley Chubb. I don't think they're going to try to re-sign Bradley Chubb. Uh, so you might as well get something out of the expiring prior, uh, pr- contracts and try to get something out of it and sell them to a team uh, that actually needs an edge rusher or something like that or a wide receiver like Cortland Sutton. Um, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Broncos sell and try to get some draft capital or something like that before the start of next season because I think at this point, it is early in the season, but they're in arguably the toughest division in football and uh, they're at the very bottom of the pack. I mean, Kansas City, you're not going to catch Kansas City. Los Angeles, if Herbert starts playing better, then I don't think you're going to catch Los Angeles. And, I mean, the Raiders and the Broncos are probably equal, even though I think maybe the Raiders are a tad bit better uh, on both sides of the football. Um, maybe not offensive line, but I think it's skill positions. Devontae Adams is better than any receiver the Broncos have. The D-line for Las Vegas is very solid. Uh, Josh Jacobs is better than any of the running backs other than Javante Williams. It's maybe even, but he's not playing. It doesn't matter. Uh, so, I mean, you know, mark it how you want. I don't think you're catching anybody, uh, especially the Chiefs in the AFC West. And then the wild card, it is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a who knows at this point. But even at two and five, it's it's not not looking good for the Denver Broncos. And I, I'd be curious to see what they do at the trade deadline. I don't think they're going to get any assets. I, or I don't think they're going to go and get out any go out and get any players. I don't think they're going to make any big splashes and try to build up anybody this season. If they're going to do that, they're probably going to do it next season. If they try to sell this year, get some assets, some draft assets, and then maybe sell draft assets with other pieces next season to try to get another wide receiver. If Russell Wilson is, um, you know, playing better towards the end of the year, if you will. Um, so we'll see. I, I really don't know what to expect from the Broncos at this point in terms of uh, their play and then what they do in the front office. Um, you see if they try if their sellers come trade deadline as it comes closer basically every week. So we'll see what happens with the Broncos moving on here. Uh, a couple other games the Seahawks over the Chargers. We talked about this one a little bit. Geno Smith. I cannot believe what Geno Smith is doing. It looks like I mean. He's doing what I think we all kind of expected Russell Wilson to be at this point, right? I mean, 20 for 27. He didn't have a, a stellar year. He was highly uh, a stellar game, excuse me, but he was highly efficient. 20 for 27, 210 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, 105.5 quarterback rating. You know, it wasn't a, a blow me out of the water type game, but I mean, it feels like this. That, I mean, that's, that's what the Broncos are looking for at this point. Highly efficient, uh, productive touchdown passes. I mean, the, the works and Geno Smith is giving it to the Seattle Seahawks. It looks like he just, the, the Seahawks laid out an offensive game plan for him. Uh, basically every game he buys into it and he's succeeding from it. And it's good to see for Geno Smith. Good for Geno Smith. He stuck with it for, I think he's, he's into his thirties. Now I remember watching him at, at West Virginia uh, when he played, when Oklahoma played West Virginia for a long, or for a while there. And um, he was solid at West Virginia. And I can't believe he's basically battled his way all the way back to being a starter in the NFL. And he's, I mean, he's, he's bought himself a, a decent contract come off season. I would imagine uh, just with his play through seven games this year. And I mean, they're four and three. They're at the top of the division. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed by, it. I think this is maybe the, probably the biggest surprise of the season so far is the Seattle Seahawks, just how good they're being or how good they have been. Uh, I mean, there's not a, be- a better team or more surprising team, excuse me, in the NFC, no doubt than the Seattle Seahawks. I think so far this year, Kenneth Walker, also a, a stud running back. He's been absolutely incredible for them. 23 carries, 168 yards, two touchdowns for them against uh, Los Angeles. He was absolutely terrific. Uh, And I mean, Seattle, here's the thing. Seattle, very good, Uh, solid team. I don't know how much to expect from them come playoff time. If they do make the playoffs, I don't know if they're going to be able to match up with even the teams in their own division. I don't know how I feel against them against a, a a healthy 49ers team. I still think the 49ers are probably favored in that game. As well as, a, uh, a a healthy Los Angeles team, even though Los Angeles has looked very, very mediocre. The Los Angeles Rams, uh, their O-line has been kind of a disaster. I have no idea what to expect of them week in, week out, and their passing game has basically all but vanished. I still don't think the Seattle Seahawks would be favored over the Rams in a game like that. Uh, basically, go throughout the top, the rest of the NFC, I, I don't think they're going to be favored in any game come playoff time against most of the top two teams in each division. Uh, Tampa Bay, no. Uh, Minnesota, no. Green Bay, even with Aaron Rodgers, probably not. Uh, New York Giants, maybe. I, I'll give the New York Giants. The Eagles, no. New York Giants would probably be a pick, to be honest with you. Uh, but if anybody's going to be favored, I would probably lean more Giants just because, uh, I mean, they have the record and arguably a better defense than 
the Seattle Seahawks to this point. Seattle Seahawks are kind of just leaning on their offense to kind of win them shootouts. Their defense hasn't been stellar this year. Um, so, I, you know, Seahawks, they're having a great regular season so far. But like I said, in their division, I don't even think they're the favorite in that division if they were to play one another in the playoffs between the Rams and the Niners. Obviously, the Cardinals probably a favorite there because the Cardinals aren't very good. But, I mean, between the the Niners and the Rams, those are those are the two top teams, one of the, both two top teams in the NFC. And I don't think they would... Uh, be favorites in either one of in a game against either one of those guys. So I, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with the Seahawks. But it is cool to see Geno. I think we're all Geno fans right now, and it's uh, it's fun to see him kind of cook. It's it's good to see because he's you know deserves it. He's been in the the league for forever now. It feels like at this point. Uh, moving on here, the final game that we'll talk about here today: Chiefs versus the 49ers. Uh, this to me, it wasn't necessarily surprising. Uh, 49ers are not as good as the Chiefs. Does kind of highlight how incredible that Niners that Niners run was uh, two years ago when they made it to the Super Bowl. They were basically a pass or two away from beating the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Uh, but now, I mean, it feels like the Chiefs are run away, run away better than this 49ers team. Niners still injured, though. I mean, they've been hammered with a slew of injuries, uh, but still, uh, Chiefs are just miles ahead of the Niners and most of the NFC. I think this was also kind of a highlight of how much better the AFC in terms of the top is than the NFC. I mean, the Niners, even though they're three and four on the season, it feels like they're still one of the better teams in the NFC top to bottom in terms of talent. Jimmy G, obviously not the quarterback. They thought they would be coming into the year with as their starting quarterback with Trey Lance going down with injury, but Trey Lance even was not having a stellar year when he was playing. So I, I mean, it's still even with the quarterback situation is what it is. Kyle Shanahan's a fantastic coach and they're one of the better teams top to bottom in the NFL when they're healthy. And, uh, the Chiefs just thoroughly dominated. 44 to 23 was the final score. And uh, Patrick Mahomes went off for 25 for 34, 423 yards and three touchdowns. One of the most sure bets, it feels like, week in, week out so far this season is Patrick Mahomes over two and a half touchdowns, basically. I'm pretty much throwing money down on that every single week uh, on Patrick Mahomes over two and a half touchdowns. And uh, I, I think he's gone over on it. I think four out of the f- six weeks that they planned, I think they had a bye week at some point. Uh, if they didn't, I think it was five out of seven weeks. Uh, that it's hit. So, I mean, Chiefs are great. I mean, a big, wow, what a surprise. Chiefs are great. Uh, maybe de- defense, maybe a little questionable. We will, you know, I mean, obviously they, they let the Rams get out in front of them a little bit, or not the Rams, excuse me, the Raiders get out in front of them on that Monday night football game just a few weeks ago. Uh, and, but I mean, that's the thing with Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense, I feels like any deficit that they have, no matter what the number is, it feels like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are going to be able to come back and, beat the team, whoever they're playing or a cap in, you know, eclipse that deficit and win that game. I don't think anybody other than the bills has that ability or has that, has that belief in them. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, the AFC is, is way better than the AF than the NFC. And it's just basically those two teams at the top of the list. And maybe, maybe the Bengals, I'll put the Bengals against a decent amount of the NFC teams as well, except maybe, I mean, the Eagles probably have the power up front and the defense up front to match the Bengals in the AFC, I think. Uh, but other than that, I mean, there's not very many teams that can match the Bengals either. So, I, you know, NFC, what a mess. A complete disaster. I, I really don't know who is going to come out of that conference. It really does feel like it's the Eagles or bust at this point for that conference. If, we, if, if the NFC wants to have any sort of chance at beating either of the top two AFC teams right now. And um, I guess we'll just have to see what happens. It, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I, I mean... We'll see. It's like I said, it's fun because I really don't know what to expect week in week out from uh, from each of these uh, each of these games. Uh, basically, all the middle games that happen are just question marks at this point, and it just makes it fun. It's interesting. It really is interesting. Coming up this week, some a couple pretty decent games on the schedule. I'd say we got another London game. Uh, Broncos going to London, taking on the Jaguars. That's a seven thirty a.m. kick. I, I everybody's going to be awake for that, of course. Seven thirty a.m. between the Broncos and the Jags. Who wouldn't want to watch that? I'm just kidding. I'm gonna take. I'm going to be sleeping. I'm not going to watch this game. Uh, also, Thursday we have a decent game on Thursday, and actually kind of intriguing game on Thursday night football. Who would have thought? I can't believe we've come to this point. Uh, the Ravens taking on the Buccaneers. That should be interesting. Lamar Jackson, uh, very solid player. Arguably the best athlete to play 
the position of quarterback that we've ever seen other than maybe Michael Vick. Uh, but even I think Lamar Jackson is a better quarterback than Michael Vick is. And uh, he's going up against the GOAT in general, Tom Brady. Uh, the Buccaneers are going to have to try to fix something. We'll have to see if they can fix anything. Right now, the line's at uh, Baltimore minus one and a half. I'm not belt- betting Baltimore anymore, though, because they've lost me three bets in a row where I had them with the spread. I'm not looking at the Baltimore Ravens anymore. They can go play whoever they want, and I don't care. That's how I feel about the Ravens right now. Uh, 49ers and Rams, that's going on as well. Kyle Shanahan, it's dad versus dad versus son. Kyle Shanahan taking on his son, Sean McVay. I'm being facetious, obviously, uh, mainly because Kyle Shanahan just owns Sean McVay whenever they play, and uh, 49ers are taking on the Rams right now. The 49ers are one-and-a-half-point favorites as it stands. Packers, Bills, the Sunday Night Football. This was probably a great game looking at the schedule. I don't know how much of a good game this is anymore. Right now, Buffalo is minus or 11.5-point favorites as of Tuesday. Tuesday afternoon, 11.5-point favorites. It's the first time Aaron Rodgers has ever been a double-digit underdog uh, in a game ever, Aaron Rodgers ever has ever been a double digit dog uh, in in a game. So I got to imagine they cover in that game. I mean, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to come into that game being a double digit dog and not cover. I, uh, that'd be very surprising if they didn't cover. I think you're ringing the emergency bell if they don't cover in this game, to be honest with you. I don't think they're going to win. I don't think they believe they're going to win this game against the Bills. But if they don't cover, uh, that's bad. If you're losing by more than more than 12 points against the Bills, then yeah, I mean, I think the alarm bells are starting to ring for the Packers. And then Monday, Halloween, great. Oh, I was so impressed by this scheduling by the NFL. Good on them for this scheduling on Monday. Bengals versus Browns, I get, okay, you know, not a great game, I understand. But think about it a little deeper. I'll give you a second. Why is this good scheduling for Monday, October 31st, Halloween, for this game? Bengals versus Browns. I'll give you a second. It's black and orange. It's, I mean, brown and orange in the Browns, obviously. But the Bengals, black and orange. It's genius. I, I could not believe that that was the scheduling. I'm usually not a guy for bad games on primetime, but this makes sense. This makes all the sense in the world. They're doing a thing. They're doing the black and orange thing. They're doing the dark color and the orange for Halloween. I appreciate I salute the NFL for that scheduling. I thought that was very smart. Very, very cute, if you will. Uh, very, very cool to have the two black and orange teams play each other on Halloween. The official colors of Halloween, the black and orange. So, uh, you know, cool. It was very cool. It was cool to see. I was, I, I, I had a little smile come to come to my face when I saw uh, when I saw the scheduling for Monday night on Halloween. I thought that was very cool. Uh, moving on. That's the week seven recap. Week eight, little, I guess, a little preview, if you will. Uh, coming up this next week, we're almost halfway done with the NFL season. If you can believe that. Oh my God. It's already blown by uh, the week nine, I guess halfway through week eight will be, will be halfway through the NFL season, if you will, because there's 17 weeks instead of 16 now. So halfway through week eight will be halfway through the season. Uh, college football really quickly. We had a couple of, a uh, couple of big games over the weekend in college football. Not very many uh, good games, though. I would say Syracuse Clemson was the good. Uh, was a good game. Clemson won twenty seven twenty one. They eked one out, if you will. Uh, DJ Uyungle got benched in that game as well. That was uh, I did not think they were going to do that, but they did end up benching him. Texas versus Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State won that game. They came back and beat Texas. That was a good game. Uh, but other than that, not a whole lot of great games this weekend in college football. Uh, and you know, it was very very one sided. I would say for. Uh, most of these games, there was a couple other than the, the couple that I mentioned, TCU versus Kansas State was a pretty decent game. TCU won that one 38-28. TCU was undefeated, by the way, eighth ranked in the country. Uh, I think they moved up a little bit, too, in this most recent poll. But yeah, that was a pretty decent week in college football. Oh, oh man, this was the big thing that happened. So uh, Iowa blown up by Ohio State last weekend. T- bad offensive football team. Terrible. I would say uh, not just bad, truly terrible offensive football team. One of the worst offensive football teams I have ever seen their offense is so bad it's offensive (laughs) yeah that was a good one uh they're terrible i mean they're a bad team the defense okay i mean they lost 54 to 10 against ohio state but ohio state's i mean they're a powerhouse so you know take that with a grain of salt um but their defense is pretty solid and pretty solid year in year out but their 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 offense their offense is terrible terrible so bad defense okay offense terrible guess what the line is they play northwestern this weekend guess what the over under is for this game against Northwestern on Saturday. Guess what the over-under is? Just take a guess. I'll give you a second to guess. It's 31 and a half. <laughs> 30, 31 and a half points. I, I, to me, I have to hit the over on that, right? I mean, 31 and a half is 
mind boggling. I wouldn't take 31 and a half under on anything on a hockey game. That's not true. Obviously, that was a joke. But still, 31 and a half is appalling for a football game. Nonetheless, not just a football game, a college football game. For that to be the over under for a college football game is so appalling. That was the opening over under. I don't know what it is anymore, but that was the start. And man, I I mean, even with Iowa's offense, Northwestern's offense as well, Northwestern's offense is terrible. Just arguably as bad. I mean, not not as bad as Iowa's. Iowa's is truly, truly horrific. If you haven't watched Iowa football this year, you're missing out because especially if you're like a big fan of punting. Oh, you got to watch Iowa football. Uh, But yeah, 31 and a half is the over under. I, I never thought in a million years I would see the betting market come out and say, yeah, we don't think this team or either one of these teams can win 24 to eight or, you know, the final score. We don't think either one of these teams can make a 24 to eight score or a 24 to 10 score. We don't think it's, we don't think it's possible. We think 31 and a half is a good line. I didn't think I'd ever see the day where they, uh, a betting market would come out and say, we don't think they can make 31 points in a single game. And here we are in Iowa Northwestern. I think it's the lowest over under in the history. I mean, then, I mean, for how long they've been calculating over unders, uh, for college, a college football game. I think I remember reading that correctly. I can't remember who put that, who, uh, who tweeted that, but I remember reading that and, uh, I, I just, man, Iowa, Iowa's in a bad way. Northwestern too. I mean, that's, I, that's, that's a primetime game. If, if I'm, you know, if I'm ESPN or Fox, just for the hell of it, put that on primetime, just really make people upset and make them, it's on ESPN two at one thirty in the afternoon, but man, scoot that into seven thirty. put it on, put it on ESPN two and just watch people leave. <laughs> I mean, just what, well, let's just burn it to the ground and have Iowa Northwestern at 31 and a half over under. Make that your primetime game and just let's just light it all on fire. Uh, man, I can't believe I saw that. I saw that the other day and I was like, there's no way because I, I want to bet the over on that because I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's possible for there to be there to be an an under of 31 total points in college football. But if I lose that bet as well, I'm if I if I lost that bet, I would just be like, what am I doing? Like I'm betting on Iowa offense or the Northwestern offense to somehow come alive and score more than 31 points total. I have, of course that didn't happen. So I, I don't know what to expect. I mean, it's so I, I just I guess I was more stunned at the the entire idea of a 31 and a half over under. So like Ohio State, their line for their team total of points this upcoming week. Who Ohio State is who beat Iowa last week. They're over under for team total points just by themselves for this next week is 38 and a half just by themselves, the, just by themselves, the, the over under for their team total points is 38 and a half. That's seven and seven points higher than the game total line in, in Iowa Northwestern. That is so mind boggling. I cannot believe I, I, I just, I, I can't believe that. I, it's just, mind numbing. Uh, what a, what a world we live in the big 10 college football. There's nothing like it. There's truly, truly nothing like it. Uh, anyways, that that's college football. Oh, really quickly. Let's talk about the Cowboys a little bit. Sorry. I, I keep forgetting. Let's talk about Cowboys. Cowboys, a solid game. They played better against Utah state than I thought they were going to play. To be honest with you, I thought Utah state was going to really, really sell out on the run, which they did. They sold out on the run. Uh, but even with the selling out on the run, the Cowboys were still able to find holes. Titus Swin had a great game for the Cowboys as their running back. Probably arguably one of those better games of the season. Um, and yeah, he was able to 15 care or excuse me, uh, 28 carries, 160 yards, three touchdowns. Definitely his best game of the season. Um, and uh, even with the with Utah State selling out on the run, they couldn't stop Titus Win and uh, DQ James as well. 10 carries, 120 yards as well. Good game from the Cowboys, especially on the ground. I was expecting them to struggle on the ground. I thought they were going to lean more on Andrew Peasley than they did, but they didn't. They were able to get what they needed on the ground, and they won that game relatively handily, 28-14 to over Utah State. A good game from them, and they were able to hold Utah State. They don't. Utah State doesn't have a great uh, great offense coming into this game. They did not have a good offense. Their strength was, def- uh, was uh, pass defense, and it didn't really matter. Uh, Utah State's offense really could not get anything going. They had two touchdowns uh, in the second and the third quarter. 14 points, and it was pretty much washed. 104 yards from their quarterback, 17 for 26, 104 yards and an interception. He had a bad game, and uh, it was a good game for the Cowboys. I was impressed. Five and three on the season now. Uh, they have, who do they have next week? They have Hawaii next week, on the road at Hawaii next week, a 10, 10 o'clock kickoff, a true Hawaii special, uh, of course. Everybody loves to watch it, and then there's no better game to watch to merge your college, your college football into your NFL Sunday than Hawaii football, and Cowboy fans, you're going to get it as a team uh, with a team that you love Wyoming versus Hawaii on the road, 10 o'clock kickoff, 10 o'clock kickoff. Make sure you stay up. 
I will be staying up for this game because I, I love a good Hawaii game, a Hawaii chaser, if you will. And uh, yeah, that's happening on Saturday, 10 o'clock kickoff for that game. We'll see what the Cowboys can do on that in that game against Hawaii. Hawaii is not very good. I mean, they just not very good so far this year. Uh, they are two and six on the season playing in a new stadium. That is a shell of old Aloha stadium. We miss Aloha stadium. Shout out Aloha stadium. We miss you very much, but the Cowboys 11 and a half point favorites in this game already at the start. And uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, uh, Cowboys should win this game though. This, uh, this could be, you know, a, a sneaker. I mean, here's the thing. Hawaii games are always tough because of the travel and uh, the time difference and all that jazz. It's not, it's not easy to go and play in Hawaii, uh, especially with the travel and stuff. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe the, the Hawaii maybe covers in this game, but I mean, but Hawaii or, uh, but Wyoming should win this game handily. I would imagine, uh, especially with the, the rushing performance they just gave against, uh, against Utah state. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what the, we'll see what the pokes do. I'm expecting them definitely to lean more on their run game once again. And uh, Titus Swin should have about a, a big game again, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, Hawaii is giving up a uh, 212 yards on the ground uh, on the on, on the ground against opposing teams. So Titus Swin should have a big game on the ground as well once again. So uh, we'll see what happens with the Cowboys. That is college football from the past week. I think it was a pretty solid week. No, not any big games like we had uh, between. You know, I mean, it's hard to kind of follow up Tennessee, Alabama, but uh, nothing really like that uh, last week either, so, or this past weekend. So. Uh, we'll move on to this next week and see, uh, and hopefully we get uh, some solid games. That's all you can hope for. That's all you can hope for in college football. So solid games, maybe some solid upsets. That's what we can hope for. And then maybe an over on the 31 and a half between Iowa and Northwestern. Maybe, probably not, but maybe. Uh, moving on here, we're going to close out something a little bit more serious, a little bit more serious. Um, the Brittany Griner situation. This has been a uh, headache for, I mean, her, obviously, uh, Assuredly, I uh, cannot imagine what she must be going through at this point. Anyways, her uh, her appeal for to the Russian government or Russian judge uh, or whatever to uh, get her sentence reduced was denied. So she now has to spend eight years in a Russian prison, which I cannot imagine. Uh, so this whole situation has been both a disaster of policy, I would say, uh, and a disaster of of uh, economic disparity, I would say. Um, the WNBA, the biggest uh, organized women's professional league other than uh, probably a couple soccer soccer, uh, soccer leagues across the world, I would say. But definitely in America. The biggest, the biggest organized women's sports league in America, without a doubt. And for, and this goes for a lot of the women in that league as well. It's very uh, disjointed and disrespectful to them the fact that they, in order to make a living wage doing what they love and what they're the best at, uh, unlike their male counterparts in their league, they have to go overseas to play basically year-round in order to make a living wage uh, with whom they live with or where they live or what have you. Um, and that is basically what happened with Brittany Griner. She, she went to Russia to play in, their, in the Russian uh, WNBA, basically, uh, the Russian ba Women's Basketball League. And uh, she was there when the war started between uh, Russia and Ukraine. And she was using uh, the, the, gr the great ganja, the ganja, if you will, the devil's lettuce at the time. And she had it on her as she was leaving. She was apprehended, thrown into jail because it's illegal in Russia, because they still live in the uh, 1850s, because it is Russia. Uh, and uh, yeah, now she's in prison for eight years because of illegal marijuana possession. Um, and this is, like I said, this is a... It's just disappointing because any other male counterpart, NBA player, even up to her stature, because she's one of the greatest WNBA players, not just now, but of all time. She's a seven-time All-Star in the WNBA. Uh, she's coming off a season in 2021 where she has 20.5 20, 20, 20 points per game, 9.5 rebounds per game, 2.7 assists, and 1.9 blocks per game. Seven-time All-Star, like I said, one of the great players in the history of that league. And of the male counterpart, if you found anybody as good as Brittany Griner in that league, which I'm, you're comparing apples to oranges, I guess, kind of, even though they both play basketball. But if you found the male counterpart in that league and they were arrested for possession in Russia and being held as basically a political prisoner, uh, I would imagine that they would be back over into the States uh, before sundown today if that appeal was failed. 
Uh, you'd give up whatever was needed. If it was Bradley Beal, uh, whoever, Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, uh, you know, you name a, a player that is as good as Brittany Griner at her sport as her male counterpart, and they would be back. I, I would, I think I can confidently say they would be back in a matter of no time by sundown in uh, in back in into the states, giving up whatever is needed to bring back a Chris Paul or Devin Booker or what have you, a Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Even though he wouldn't come back here, he'd probably go back to Greece. Um, that's all, you know, conjecture. But I, I just think it's. It's disappointing because we see the value proposition that is given to both gender to the gender just because based on the gender of the player that is Brittany Griner. I just think it's disappointing. It's very upsetting. Um, I feel for Brittany Griner, her her playing career. If they don't find a way to bring her back, which I can't imagine there's not, uh, you know, countless meetings going on right now trying to get her back home. Uh, but if they don't, her playing career is basically over eight years, which, I, of course, that's the last thing she's probably thinking about right now. But I'm just thinking out of, of it from a sports perspective. Um, her playing career would basically be over. She's 32 years old. Eight years in prison is she's going to be 40 by the time she would get out in Russia. Um, and who knows what state she would be in. Uh, she she would be in what she's released if she does end up spending the eight years. I have no idea. I have never spent time in a Russian prison. And, uh, you know, I, I feel for her. I really do. That's uh, a very unfortunate situation to be in. Uh, and at no fault of her own, uh, really, no, literally no fault of her own. She was carrying marijuana on her, of course. Uh, granted, it's illegal in Russia, sure. But it's also, you know, not should not necessarily be a an eight-year prison sentence by any means, uh, any amount of marijuana that you're carrying by your uh, on your person should not be an eight year prison sentence, no matter where you are on planet Earth. Uh, but Russia being Russia, living in the 1850s, uh, still believes that, you know, it's the devil's lettuce by name and by practice. Uh, so so she's eight years in prison now. And uh, I just and, and, and it's the it's the the mere fact that because she is she she is she. uh she has to go play in Russia because she has to work basically year round in order to support herself and uh, whoever her, her significant others and, and what have you, or, um, you know, in, in the fact that she has to play year round in another country, um, somewhere else to, in order to make the amount of money that she, she needs to live by herself doing something that she's good at granted that she is good. The, the best thing that she does in the world better than almost any other person on planet earth. Uh, she has to go find somewhere else in the world to go do it like Russia, like Greece, you know, you name it like Italy where these, these leagues go on as well. So it's just, and if it were anybody else on of her male counterpart in the male counterpart league in the, in the NBA, they would be back. Like I said, it feels like they would be back before the end of the week, whatever you need, we're signing it over and sending it. Okay. We're not going to have this stain on the administration, on the government, because we couldn't get back, uh, you know, we couldn't we couldn't go and get back Zach Levine or whatever uh, back into the United States because he was in Russia with a, a little bit of ganj. Um, it's just disappointing uh, to see this is to see. Uh, I mean, like I said, the value proposition that is put between the two, between the gender of male and female uh, in their sport and their counterpart leagues is um, it's just disappointing. I, I really don't know what to expect at this point. I hope they get her out early. I hope she gets out early uh, and I hope they bring her back to the States. I really hope. And like I said, this is uh, lower on the list, obviously, but I hope she can play. She continues her playing career, can continue her playing career. Cause like I said, she's one of the great basketball WNBA players in the history of that league. And one of the great basketball players of all time, uh, a Baylor, a Baylor staple, arguably probably the greatest player in the history of Baylor basketball. And uh, you know, a staple for the, the, the game of basketball as a whole. Um, and you can see the, the NBA players agree with me. I'm not, I'm not putting them out on an Island because, uh, you know, they're, they're not sharing their, uh, support or anything like that, of course they're sharing their support or anything. You know, I'm not denying that whatsoever. We saw, uh, Steph Curry who came out during his ring, the, the, the ring, the, their, um, ring ceremony for their championship last season. And he basically immediately gave out a shout out to Brittany Griner, who they were all thinking of. And you know, the, the, all the, all the superlatives and stuff like that. So. Of course, they're thinking about her. I just wish that wasn't the the situation. You know, I wish it wasn't. We're just thinking about her. We, you know, we were getting her back. We're in the process of getting her back. Uh, it's just disappointing because 
this doesn't happen to any other of her male counterparts. And it's only because of uh, the discrepancy in pay that they have, uh, even though they're the very best at what they do. And uh, they're the best in terms of league that the women have in any of the other professional sports. So, so that's the take on that. Uh, it was disappointing to see the appeal, but you know, Russia's going to Russia. Of course, they're going to deny the appeal. And now she's got eight years to live through in a Russian prison. And um, I, I hope we get her. I hope we, I hope we get her back. I, I, we, I mean, she deserves to be back uh, and she does not deserve to be sitting in a prison for the amount of marijuana uh, that she had in her possession period. And um, it's just uh, disappointing to see that that's what it came to because that's, you know, it's, it's a discrepancy in the fact that she is a woman playing in a league that pays her substantially less than the male counterpart league that is basically their neighbor. So that's, uh, that's what we're going to wrap it up on. I want to thank you very much for tuning in to the weekend sports wrap podcast this week. Make sure you like rate, subscribe, whatever you do, follow, please give me a follow. I would greatly appreciate it. It helps me out in the numbers. It puts me in the old trending section. Greatly appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, this has been the weekend sports wrap podcast. I've been your host, James Timberlake. <laughs>